We're continuing through that series, moving to a different text, and it will be about a third of the way through the teaching tonight that you'll see the relevance of the text to the subject at hand, God's Word, and our response to God's Word. You won't see that for the first 90 minutes or so, but after that, People just went white. I'm just kidding. It's not going to... After that, you'll see. This week, next week, maybe one more week. The one who trembles at God's word. I I feel to me like I'm plenty of volume. Am I... Could we come down just maybe a hair? I, I feel like I'm ringing in the house a little bit. The one who trembles at God's word. Isaiah 66, 1 to 4. Is this in your notes, this text? Good stuff. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He or she who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. And then the, the text takes this funny, this funny turn. And I'll, I'll show you the significance of it. Though when you read it now, it just feels like something jarring. Like you just went over a speed bump in a parking lot. And it's in quotation marks. Verse 3. He who slaughters an ox. What? He who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. What is this? He who presents a grain offering like one who offers pig's blood. He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense like one who blesses an idol. These have chosen their own ways. And their soul delights in their abominations. I also will choose harsh treatment for them and bring their fears upon them. Because when I called, no one answered. When I was a kid, I can remember vividly if we were doing something in the basement and there was just a lot of noise and the four boys were down there wrecking the place. And my dad would just yell down the stairs... And we would all just go deathly quiet. But nobody would answer. And then he'd go, I'm calling you! And we'd look at each other and figured, somebody's going to have to own up and respond, you know. When I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not listen. But they did what was evil in my eyes and chose that in which I did not delight. Strange text, Isaiah 56, 1 to 4. If you were working through Isaiah, we're not. You would see that from chapter 56 to 66, 10 full chapters, basically. The prophet Isaiah, led by the Spirit of God, he speaks and he exposes and he denounces the sin of God's people. Not the nations, God's chosen people, the Jews. 
And you would see for ten chapters, they are selective hearers of God. In that sense, it kind of relates to our morning series, what we studied this morning, about dullness of hearing and not being skilled in the word of righteousness. These people, you would see for ten chapters, and you start to see it in this text, particularly in that third verse. They, they betray God because it says they have chosen their own ways, verse 3. While at the same time, they keep coming to the temple like they're supposed to do. They keep coming to the priest like they're supposed to do. They keep bringing their offerings and their sacrifices like they're supposed to do. They're doing all the right things externally. And then they leave the temple and they, they thank you. I've, I've had my dealings with God. And it says now they just choose their own ways. So somehow they've, they've uh, encased their duty to God in, in the, the confines of the temple. I mean, they knew this was God's turf, God's stuff. The rest of their lives, God says, verse 4 in our text, they chose that in which I did not delight. Choosing, choosing the things that delight God... ...brings strength to life. By the way, that's the meaning of that text. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's not about smiling and laughing and jumping up and down. It's about when you choose the things that bring joy to the Lord. The joy of the Lord. When you you do the things that delight Him, that please Him... ...you will find your greatest strength and fulfillment in, in your life. They chose that, verse 4, in which I did not delight. They did the right things in the temple, but then they left the temple. And God says they they, they chose that in which I did not delight. How did God know these people were hypocrites? What was the proof that their sacrifices in the temple were worthless, unaccepted, unaccepted? Well, here's what, here's what prosecuted their hearts. They chose lifestyles that delighted them when they were out of the temple rather than those that delighted God. So, so God looks at, at my heart. And I will not be judged one day by how good my preaching was. God will look into my heart... And I will be judged by my heart's consideration of his pleasure over my own. That's how God's going to evaluate me. That's how God's going to evaluate you. Only secular people, people totally void of the spirit of God, make all of their choices based on self-fulfillment. And so the prophet, the Lord speaks through the prophet Isaiah to these people... They didn't stop when they were outside the temple to analyze their choices very deeply. I mean, they just chose on the basis of their desires. They never took the time to assess the things that would be most pleasing to God when they were done with their sacrifices. And so the prophet's words in this magnificent text, they're they're designed to expose the people's sin. The wording, I think you sensed it. 
the wording is crafted. It's designed to shock. It's, it's a text that's... Some texts comfort and soothe and encourage. There are lots of texts in the Bible, and the purpose of the Holy Spirit in them is to slap me on the face, to wake me up. How wonderful and wild and unpredictable God's word is. And then, toward the end, you'll see, there's this, there's this added... Uh, There's a sweetening of the message with comfort and hope. So there's the the shocking part and then the comforting part. So point number one. The glory of the temple was abused if it was used to limit God's ruling presence to that physical structure. You can see it in one and the first part of verse two. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne... The earth is my footstool. And here's the question. What is the house you're going to build for me? What is the place of my rest? And then God says, all these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. So, yes, God commanded the building of the temple. But... The big idea in these verses is that God and the temple are not the same thing. So, so you don't necessarily do devotion to the one just because you worship and come to the other. That's an important difference. It's an unforgettable difference. And here's the difference. You can walk away from the temple. That's the deceiving thing about measuring your Christianity by just the religious side of things. You can walk away from the temple. You can walk away from the church, the Bible study, the youth group. None of those things is boundless or all-encompassing or always present, but God is. So that's the idea behind God's, his almost... God is almost sarcastic, borderline. You think this temple is a beautiful place? All the gold. He gave all the instructions, by the way. The gold, the silver, the rubies, the emeralds, the acacia wood, the stonemasons. You think this is a beautiful place? Let me, let me tell you where I live, God says. Heaven is where I live. And the earth, not just the temple, this whole planet, that's my footstool, God says. This is, when National Geographic shows you those pictures from outer space and you see the earth and all of its splendor, God says, that's, it's where I put my feet up. That's what a footstool is. So, What house were you planning on building where I would be ensconced and limited in my presence? What what were you going to build me that was going to thrill my heart? You see the tone? You people with your stones and your bronze and your gold, what, what building were you planning to put up that would be big enough to contain me? Not bad questions. It's kind of like when God starts questioning Job, you know, when you read the book of Job. 
Those are tough questions to face. The interview continues, the first part of verse 2. All these things my hand has made. So all these things came to be, declares the Lord. And so he's saying, I have these infinite creative powers. I have made everything you can see. I made the whole universe and it would have taken no more effort on my part to make a million such universes. Now, you really think that this house, my presence is limited to this house you're building for me? That's God's rebuke to those who think they can to people who think they can seal God up into certain compartments of their life. The Bible study, the prayer meeting, the teaching time, the devotions. He's utterly uncontainable. There's no part of my life from which he can be conveniently segregated. He's not that kind of God. So so what that means is, my, my devotion to him must be seamless or it's non-existent. Absolutely seamless or it's non-existent. The logic continues, point number two. When religious devotion is extended only to certain portions of our lives, it's more shockingly repulsive to God than we think it is. I'm not talking now about people leaving church and going out and robbing banks. I'm just talking about the way way it is just so easy... For the normal events of daily living. Not the bad things. Just the normal events of daily living. The most dangerous thing about them, remember, is... They tend to make us forget about God. So we come here and everything is designed, hopefully... To make us think about God. But out in the rest of your life... There's very little to force you to think about God. Because your, your attention has to be directed to different objects, different situations. So, so is that bad? Because, because it doesn't feel bad, right? You're just preoccupied. I just get doing stuff. How, how bad can that be that for slices of my life, I can actually train myself to not think very much about the things that delight God. And so, and so God speaks through the prophet Isaiah. And here's the goal. He has to find a way to, to awaken some kind of sensitivity in me that this, this is very serious. Because it doesn't always feel serious. It just feels average. And so... Now these words. Remember I said they were so jarring? Verse 3. He who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. Ouch, that's a brutal image, isn't it? I'll never forget. It wasn't me driving, but when we hit a dog. 
and, and that yelp and the sound and the, oh, it's, it's a horrible thing. He who presents a grain offering, like one who offers pig's blood. How can that be? To Jewish people, pig's blood? Really? He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense, like one who blesses an idol. They have chosen their own ways. Their soul delights in their abominations. They have chosen their own ways. So how big a problem can this be? They're still going to the temple. They still offer sacrifices, like the law required. That has to count for something. Is their religious devotion to God all undone simply because at other times they do their own thing and they act indifferently toward him? That's the question these verses drill down into. You can see what happens in the text. Just look at the words. The prophet links four pairs of actions, right? And they each take the same literary form. There's a positive commanded action of devotion, and it's followed by a, a shockingly uh, grotesque action. And the religiously devout actions and the abusive wicked ones somehow are coupled together, joined together with that little conjunction, like. So, so here's a pattern all through these four things. He who does this is like that. You can see that, right? And it all just rolls off the tongue. He who slaughters an ox, like one who kills a man. Sacrifices a lamb, like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who presents a grain offering, like one who offers pig's blood. He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense, like one who blesses an idol. Now, you need to pay attention, because these verses don't say that these people have actually done these terrible things. That is not the point of the text. They're not being accused of murder or breaking a dog's neck or offering pig's blood or bowing down to an idol. They're not being accused of any of that. The point is different, and it's a little more widely applicable. The prophet's point is that people who go and worship in the prescribed proper ways but then leave the temple and choose their own ways. That's a quote, choose their own ways. When they're on the way home from church, are, are as morally accountable to God as people who do those bad things. That's the point of the text. and Because I, I don't think of it that way. I rarely think of it that way. So God apparently sees, he sees a, a deeper, more vivid vileness in people like us leaving our times of worship and then just getting back to life and doing our own thing. God, God would say, that's a horrible wickedness, Don. That's a horrible wickedness. And all of a sudden, I, I, all of a sudden I find myself in Isaiah's text. You know what I'm saying? I find myself there. I find myself needing to repent and think about this a bit. This, 
text labors to make it plain that while we might think it's just a small thing to make all of our choices without giving preference to what pleases God, God paints this picture and he says it's, 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 it's morally offensive. These verses are actually structured to help us see this. The prophet, he, he repeats those words, chosen and choose. They have chosen their own ways, last part of verse 3. I also will choose harsh treatment for them, first part of verse 4. When your God is the creator of all that is, when the goal is to move from creation as he made it through the fall Sin, redemption, onto a new creation where the whole universe, the goal of the whole universe is to glorify God under Christ. All my everyday choices are supposed to line up in that, that orientation. Now, in the middle of... So that's the rough stretch, I said. That's the, that's the speed bump where God says, you need to think about this. In the middle of all those denunciations, point number three, God gives a brief description of the heart of the one on whom he will look with favor and blessing. The last part of verse two, all these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble, contrite in spirit and relating to our study trembles at my word there's this contrast painted there are people who make most of their life's choices steered only by their own desires and delights they have Choose their own way, verse 3. And God hates that. And then God says, you know what? I have made everything you can see. What is the significance of the doctrine of creation? Well, it's, it's, it's more than just dating the age of the earth. God says, I, think, what, I don't know what's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. Yeah, I don't know. I, I grew up most of my younger years out west. I've been lots of times to, you know, to Banff. I don't know if you've ever done that. You drive through the Rockies and you see the lakes and you just look and you go, wow. <laughs> I've seen the Grand Canyon. Uh, I've been blessed enough to go to Hawaii and see the sun going down over the ocean at night and and you look at all of this. So God says to these people, I've, I've made all of this, but, but, but let me tell you what impresses me the most, God says. I've made all of this magnificent universe, but here's what I look for, and here's what strikes me as being wondrously beautiful. There aren't a lot of them, but I look for the one. Every once in a while I find someone 
who's humble and contrite and trembles, just reading, and all of a sudden, oh, oh, trembles at my word. Not many people in this world are all that impressed by people like that. People who hold Christian doctrines are a dime a dozen. People who have been raised in church abound. But the people that, when the Son of Man comes, Jesus said, will he, will he find faith on earth? He doesn't mean are there going to be church membership lists. The one who trembles at my word. They're not everywhere. That's the implication. The one. It's, it's like looking, looking, looking. Look over a crowd like this. Of course, he'd, he'd see it in all of us. But let's say a church not as godly as Cedarview. Where he would sweep over a huge crowd. No. 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 There's one. Isn't that striking? The one. Humble. Contrite in heart. Trembles at my word. The, the, the person that gets up and his number one fear throughout the day isn't, isn't a bad diagnosis from the doctor or a car accident or bad weather. His number one fear throughout the waking hours of that day is, oh, don't let me do anything that would not be pleasing to you. I can't stand that thought. It makes me shake. God says, there, one, one like that. That's what I'm looking for. If you weren't a success in anything else in life and you were a success there, you have the smile of God for all eternity. Where are the people who are wired to look and to listen for God? Where are the people who are sensitive to God in everything that they do? Who give constant attention to the things of God? Not just in church, not in the temple, not giving their sacrifices. Those things become worthless when they're left in the confines of the religious structures. Next week, we're going to look specifically at the marks of a heart that trembles at God's word. I think there are about six of them, and we're going to study them. It's a very individual thing. It can't be mass-produced. Yes, I love everyone. That's not the issue here. I have a special regard for a certain type of person. Let me just give you a, a nutshell to hold on to until next Sunday night. Here's the kind of heart God looks upon with incredible favor. If you wanted to read one of the texts, it would be something like 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 to 13. Where Paul says, he writes to this church at Thessalonica. For you know how like a father with his children we exhorted each one of you. 
encouraged you, charged you. You see the differences? You can't have all just charging and you can't have all just encouraging. There's, 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 the, two, there's the two wings of truth. Charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We also, he said, we thank God for this. So, so picture Paul and those working with him when they left Thessalonica after teaching the word, when they left, they would, they would kneel down and pray and say, oh, thank you, God, for this. What? That when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, ordinary people, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. This is something, it's one of those truths we all nod our heads at. It's one of those mother and apple pie kind of truths. But, but holding on to it, especially in a, a culturally relativistic age and a spiritually lazy age, it, it's, boy, it's like, it's like trying to hold on to the bar of soap in the shower. We need to remember what God's word is, that it is just that, that it is his word, his command, his promise. We're not dealing with church. We're not just dealing with tradition. So, so start by just stamping that in your mind all over again. God's throne is heaven itself. The earth is his footstool. And that means we aren't free to hear his word as one more opinion in the bag of truth. It is it. There will never be anything else. That's what Jesus meant and said. It'll never pass away. There will never be a replacement for this. It will be increasingly socially unacceptable. It will be culturally viewed as intolerant. But this will never be replaced. Ever. Build your life on it. Apply it to your heart. That's just the starting point. But let's hear the word of the Lord today. God's word. God's word. Let's pray.